Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. us for intimacy with himself, but we struggle in our movement towards that intimacy, longing for something more. This is The Soul Struggle with Janet Gosman, helping you identify the struggle, what brought you there, and how to move through it towards the intimacy with God our soul longs for. Welcome to The Soul Struggle. I am Janet Gosman. I am a biblical counselor and an international speaker. I received my Bible and counseling degrees from Multnomah Bible College and Western Seminary, Seattle. Today, we are going to talk about loving God. There are two good questions I would like to ask. Do I really love God? And how or why do I love God? To answer that question, I would like to quote Dr. Larry Crabb. He states, Do I love God? so that he can make my life better, or make it work for me, so that if I do it right, I will receive his blessing? Or do I love him because all I want is him? If our goal is to make this life work, whether through therapy, accountability, or trying to fix and change a fallen world, we are chasing after second things. There are two ways to love God. We can love him out of duty, which leads to legalism, or with a true love, which leads to grace. So first, let us look at the trying harder make life work for me, or what I will call the duty route. This is all about fixing myself and fixing others. Chuck Swindoll states in his book, legalism is an obsessive conformity to an artificial standard for the purpose of exalting oneself. A legalist assumes the place of authority and pushes it to unwarranted extremes and results in illegitimate control, requiring unanimity, not unity. Legalism is the manufacturing and manipulation of rules for the purpose of illegitimate control. Perhaps the most damaging of all the perversions of God's will and Christ's work Legalism clings to the law at the expense of grace, to the letter in place of the Spirit. Legalism is most often vigorously enforced in an exhaustive list of do's and don'ts. Legalism is an attitude based on pride. So how does legalism work? What is its basis? It holds and binds people. Relationship with God becomes one of duty rather than one of love. Legalists often live in a world of oughts and shoulds. 
What are the signs that we are loving God out of duty or in an attitude of legalism? It is when we become focused on our good works rather than our relationship with our Maker. It becomes about my doing, not about my being. When there is no longer enjoyment in my relationship with God and an awe at His person, or when we find ourselves bored when trying to spend time alone with Him. It is also the belief that if we can live by the rules, we can have a sense of our own okayness with God. There is a performance of righteous acts or good deeds done in order to impress God and others. Years ago, we were in a legalistic church. In my quiet time, I was studying through the book of Matthew, chapter 3, where Jesus defines Phariseeism. As I read, I became convicted of what I saw because I recognized that some of these things were what I myself had been practicing. Here's a list from Matthew's 23 regarding Pharisees. They don't practice what they preach. They put heavy loads on people, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to remove them. They create requirements of obedience that go beyond what Scripture requires. They love the place of honor and public recognition. They like names or titles that indicate position. They do good deeds for men to see. They give the tithe but neglect justice, mercy, and faithfulness. They have an external look of holiness, but on the inside they are sinful, even wicked. They look good on the outside. They were teachers of the scriptures, and yet they were hypocrites. I was stunned as I examined my own heart. I was a Pharisee. I was a legalist. I believe that this attitude promoted my own four-year depression as I was trying to live up to a standard that God had not created. I couldn't live up to that standard, but I just kept trying harder. But trying harder is all about the self, and it led to depression. I went to my knees in confession. I was only freed when I released all of it to Jesus. I had to die to my trying harder to my trying to gain God's acceptance by my own good deeds. In actuality, this reveals that these doers of righteous acts had not faced their own spiritual bankruptcy. Matthew 6, 1-4 tells us the reward of God is not gained by something one earns or by performing acts of righteousness, even those good deeds done in secret. The gift and reward of God is for those who recognize their spiritual poverty. Matthew 23 declares those woes to those who proclaim and look righteous on the outside but are dead on the inside. This is not about the inside becoming perfect, but it is that we not put on the face that we are. God does not demand that we become perfect, but that we take off the mask. As long as there is a mask of righteousness, those who are unrighteous will not be touched by us. Therefore, mercy and even justice will go out the window because there is an attitude of stooping to those lesser and soiled ones when we exhibit ourselves as spotless. So when deeds are done by the legalist, they are not done in mercy and love but in a spirit of judgment or doing some type of ministry to make the self look good. No person wants to be made to feel that they are less than another or that they are the project of another. Even acts of mercy must be done with compassion, 
and not an air of, look how good I am because I'm helping those less than me. What are my motives? To be seen by men as good and righteous? To receive praise from the Christian community? Or is my motive to love out of a heart of grace and humility? You see, God's love must rescue us from our addiction to self and bring us changed into the presence of God. Because God offered me his grace, I can be released from being a rule-bound, legalistic person to a person that can offer grace. Love leads me to grace. So what is grace? Grace is getting what we don't deserve. My sin brought separation from God, but instead of condemnation, God by his own sacrifice offered me grace. This acceptance by God is not attached to any good works that I might have done, am currently doing, or might do in the future. It is a gift. I didn't deserve it, and I didn't earn it. Out of the recognition of my own undeservedness, I bow before him in humbleness and gratefulness. Oh, how he loves you and me. How can I help but love him when he loved me so? The Westminster Shorter Catechism states the chief end of man is to glorify God and to love him forever. God created us to live with a passion for himself. That passion will glorify him by enjoying and displaying my wonder at his grace and goodness. Psalm 1611 states, In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Psalm 66.18 does tell us what is involved in loving God, and it states, If I regard iniquity or sin in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. So if we have sin in our life, we are not loving God. Loving God means that we recognize when we have sin. And when there is a conviction of sin or confrontation regarding sin, is there repentance or is there justifying, excusing, and blaming? When convicted of sin, repentance must be the result in order to reestablish our intimate relationship with God and to be loving God. Chuck Colson was tried and convicted in relationship to the Watergate scandal and spent time in prison. He was converted to Christ just prior to being found out. In his book, Loving God, Colson writes, A few years ago, a magazine article about my prison ministry concluded that prison radicalized the life of Chuck Colson. It is understandable that the reporter might have thought that, but it is simply not so. I could have left prison and forgotten it. I wanted to, in fact. But while every human instinct said, put it out of your mind forever. What radicalized me was not prison, but taking to heart the truths revealed in Scripture. For it was the Bible that confronted me with a new awareness of my sin and need for repentance. It was the Bible that caused me to hunger for righteousness and seek holiness. It was the Bible that called me into fellowship with the suffering. It is the Bible that continues to challenge me today. Notice what happened in Colson's life. As he read and applied God's word, he had a new awareness of sin. 
He recognized his need to repent. The word caused him to hunger for righteousness, to seek holiness. He was challenged to move into fellowship with the suffering. We can shed tears that look like repentance, but they are really about wanting to get out of the pain that our wrongs have created. True repentance is about the pain I have caused God. Another aspect of loving God is obedience. 1 John 5, 3 said, This is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. John Piper, in his book Desiring God, states, When Christ calls us to a new act of obedience that will cost us some temporal, temporal pleasure, we call to mind the surpassing value of following him, and by faith in his proven worth, we forsake the worldly pleasure. The result? Joy. Another important, even vital part of loving God is gratitude. When I love God, I will express gratitude and praise with awe. One afternoon, while riding in the car beside my little granddaughter Olivia, who was about three years old, she began singing her own little song as she sat there in her car seat. Thank you, God, for the sunshine. Thank you, God, for the French fries. I couldn't help but smile when I heard her sing her little made-up tune and words. It struck me how simple and sincere her gratitude was expressed in her innocent heart. Later, I pondered her little song as I was in a gripey mood while doing those monotonous household chores. It struck me how ungrateful I must be. I decided I needed an Olivia attitude. Thank you, God, for the dishes to wash. Thank you, God, for a house to clean. Thank you, God. When I live with awe and gratefulness, I am loving God. Loving God is about worship. Whatever we look for in order to give us meaning is what we are worshiping. Circumstances should not dictate the quality or frequency of my worship. A.W. Tozier, in his book, What Happened to Worship, states, Worship means to feel in the heart. That's first. Feel it in the heart. A person who merely goes through the form and doesn't feel anything is not worshiping. What will be expressed? A humbling but delightful sense of admir admiration, awe, and astonished wonder. Worship does involve being in the Word. It is vital that you be in the Word on a daily basis. Recognize that God wants to meet with you. He is longing for a relationship with you, but it won't happen without being intentional. In order to worship in delight and wonder, I must know certain things are truths. Worship is about truth. A person cannot worship God unless he accepts certain things about God. In Desiring God, John Piper says, Worshiping in truth is the opposite of worship based on an inadequate view of God. Worship must have heart and head. Worship must engage emotions and thought. First, we must accept what God says about himself. Next, we must believe what God says about his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. 
and then we must believe what God says about me, the bad and the good. And last, I must believe whatever God says about sin. When I am worshiping him, I will be adoring him. I will be expressing adoration. When I worship him, I will spend time alone with him. Do you long to be alone with God, to spend time with him? Or do you rush through your devotion so that you can get to the more important things of your day? God desires to take us deeper into himself. He wants to cultivate within us the adoration and admiration of which he is worthy. He wants to reveal to each of us the blessed element of spiritual fascination in true worship. He wants to teach us the wonder of being filled with moral excitement in our worship, entranced with the knowledge of who God is. He wants us to be astonished at the inconceivable elevation and magnitude and splendor of Almighty God. Quoted by A.W. Tozier. There can be no human substitute for this kind of worship, for this kind of spirit-given response to God, who is our Creator, our Redeemer, and Lord. Tozier also says, I believe that the reverential fear of God mixed with love and fascination and astonishment and admiration and devotion is the most enjoyable state and the most purifying emotion the human soul can know. Have you ever experienced this kind of emotion and this kind of worship? I have, but only on occasion. Why isn't this the norm when I come into his presence? Why shouldn't I have this excitement, this wonder, this adoration in his presence? The songwriter expressed the essence of worship when he said, Love of Christ so freely given, grace of God beyond degree, mercy higher than the heaven, deeper than the deepest sea. All that thrills my soul is Jesus. He is more than life to me, and the fairest of ten thousand in my blessed Lord I see. So what hinders worship? You cannot worship a God that you do not or cannot trust. Your concept of God is vital in regard to being able to release yourself to worship. You will have a difficult worshiping a God who is too small or someone you see as being like yourself or if you have a lack of reference, reverence such as he's the man upstairs. Or if you have an idol in your life an idol is anything, anything that takes the place of God in my life, anything I consider more important. I will spend time in knowing God when I love God. Why was David a man after God's own heart? As a shepherd boy, he watched sheep, cared for them, protected them. What about when he was just waiting while they grazed and slept? He wrote and sang about God. He applied his own life as a shepherd to his sheep and to the Lord as his shepherd, and he wrote Psalm 23. This psalm has been a comfort to many throughout the centuries. 
And when I have a client who struggles with anxiety, I often give them the assignment to read Psalm 23 each night before they go to sleep. David's mind was constantly turned to God. Read his psalms. Whenever he was in trouble, discouraged, or even happy, he expressed it to God and then trusted. When he speaks to God and cries out when he is in trouble, he always ends up in praise and trust. He used that time alone to relate to the Lord his troubles, his discouragement, his fears, but also his remembrance of God's past provision and his trust in God. Intimacy with God is not about having knowledge only about God. It is knowing God. If I simply have knowledge about God, I can try to manage him by defining him so I have an understanding of how he works. This knowledge of him can give me security even if my knowledge is erroneous. Communicate your heart to God. This is exactly what David did. He shared his deepest longings, his anguish, his hopes, his pains. Then he waited on God and rested in God's comfort and trusted in his provision. Only in his presence can I grow. The first thing is that we no longer look for the blessings, but our aim is to know God, to honor him as the soul's supreme treasure, and to become like him. When I love God, I will also share him with others. I will love him in word and deed, says 1 John 3.18. So how do I love him in word and deed? I love him by serving others, and I love him by sharing him with others. When we fall in love with someone, we talk about the one we love. As a matter of fact, we don't care if people are even tired of hearing about him or her. We just want to talk about them. If I love Jesus, I will talk about him, and I will want others to know him. Don't try to be someone you're not when you're sharing Jesus. Be yourself. God chose to make you be you. You are the one with your personality and your gifts to reach that person in your office or the neighbor next door or others in your realm of influence, you. Why don't we do this? We don't do it because of fear. Fear of family and their respect, of being inappropriate or unhelpful. We want respect and we want an easy time in life. And so sometimes we do not share the gospel. Peter was asked by Jesus three times, Do you love me? Jesus, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? And the word he used there was agape. Peter replied, Lord, you know I love you. But the word he used for love was phileo, which means to love like a brother. It's less than what Jesus asked for, as agape means God's love. So Jesus asked again, 
Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He again used that word agape for God love. And Simon Peter answered, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And once again, he used that word phileo, brotherly love. The third time Jesus asked, Simon, son of John, do you love me? But this time he uses the word phileo, brotherly love. Isn't that interesting? Peter answers, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And again, he uses the word phileo, which is brotherly love. Notice Peter did not try to convince Jesus of something he did not feel. No, he was very honest. And Jesus did not demand that Peter move up to that agape love. Notice that Jesus met Peter right where he was. He actually moved down to where Peter was regarding his love. You see, God doesn't want something from you that you cannot give him. He wants to meet you right where you are and walk with you into a deeper, deeper love and relationship with himself. And so, what is it that I want? I want intimacy and loving God. And this is not about perfection. Intimacy is relationship. The more open and vulnerable the relationship, the more intimate it will be. When I am loving God, I know that all I want is him. I long to know him and for him to know me. I am done with trying to do it right or trying harder in order to make life work for me or to gain God's blessing on my life. All I want is him alone and nothing more. Is all that thrills your soul, Jesus? Is he more than life to you? How much intimacy do you want with God? How deep do you want to go? Do you love God? And do you love him out of duty that leads to legalism? Or do you love him out of love that leads to grace? How much intimacy do you want with God? And how deep? Do you want to go? I would like to suggest that if you would like to listen to today's broadcast and all previous broadcasts, that you go to my website, soulstruggle.com, and click on the radio tab at the top to hear all of the broadcasts. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Soul Struggle with Janet Gosman. Janet is an international speaker and biblical counselor in the Portland metro area, specializing in depression, anxiety, and abuse issues. To contact Janet, call 503-658-6639. That's 503-658-6639. Visit her website for more information and resources 
at soulstruggle.com. Soulstruggle.com. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.